A lot has changed since we started this silly little project. We got married! I got a new job and a raise. And I started working on a mathematics degree. But we don't want to give up our lovely vision of space communism. So we're hiring an editor after this episode to keep this podcast going. We've got two more episodes after this one already recorded, including the Discovery Season 3 finale, which is actually already edited. Thanks, Mason. And we're working on getting our next recording scheduled. For now, we'll be paying our editor out of pocket, but soon we may turn to you to help keep this project afloat. Thanks for hanging in and enjoy this very special episode of Jumpsuit Jumpsuit Utopia. Spoilers for all Star Treks everywhere. Troublesome. One, two, three, four! Just where is our future? The things we've done instead. Let's just push the button, we'd be better off dead. Glory to you, Terrence. This is the Intendant Esri. Welcome to Catsuit Dystopia the Emancipation Network show where we explore the fascist themes of Star Trek. For those of you just joining us, you've missed our Patreon-only defenestration orgy. You really should have been there. Moving on, we have a very small but very significant panel today. First we have, now, did did I get this right? Tiberius something something something? Is that right? Tribunus Levis, Tiberius Victoria Publia Gracchus. Uh-huh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Semper Supra. Semper Supra. Yes, uh, whatever, yeah, all those titles. Great, great, great. Next we have Chief Smiley Tom O'Brien, who's just been joining us. Hello. Semper Supra Tom. How's it going? And, of course, we all have the honor of welcoming our Empress. All hail her most imperial majesty, mother of the Dogeland, overlord of Nintendo, dominus of dank memes, Regina anime, all hail Sophia Luxemburg, Andreas Rosas. Semper Supra. Semper Supra. Semper Supra. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of Catsuit Dystopia is brought to you by the Space Force Guardians, heritage, mission, and culture, a name chosen by space professionals for space professionals, The Space Force Guardians keep Terra safe from others. Semper Supra. Semper Supra. Semper Supra. (laughs) (laughs) Have you anything to say, Empress? Space Force is great. Look at this. (laughs) Heritage, culture, mission. Yeah. A name chosen by space professionals for space professionals. Yeah, what's the problem with that? It's great. Chosen by the space professional community, of course. If you have a problem with it, then, you know. Are you a space professional? It's like something yeah, you like, get like, send it to the agonizer <laughs> If you were buying like a utility belt, it'd be like <laughs> utility belt chosen by utility belt practitioners. <laughs> if the utility belt was named, you know, like the Fash Dagger, and well, I don't know, we asked a bunch of utility belt people, it would be a good name. So I mean, you can't criticize it. Standpoint epistemology for space professionals. I think that is what they're going for there. Like, hey, you don't like the name? Well, look. A bunch of these like space nerds play Destiny, and so there's a Guardian <laughs> class or something, and you know that's uh, that's what's going on there. Yeah, a bunch of tech nerds who look at the mirror universe and cyberpunk and go, "Cool future!" <laughs> <laughs> wow, 
I was born at the wrong time. You, gotta... oh, you know these assholes are, are throwing, like, agonizer parties. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. They, they have the little agonizers, the mini agonizers at the party that they all, like, grab and, like, hold on to for a high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's definitely what was going on there, right? That was, like, a toy agonizer that they were playing, like, oh, yeah. agonizer chicken with. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't It wasn't a toy agonizer. It was actually, like, one of the agonizer units, like, the, the handheld agonizer units that they use. <laughs> oh, wow. So they were basically like scourging themselves and seeing who could do it the longest without letting go. Yeah, but doesn't an agonizer like adjust itself to your own pain threshold? So like, I guess it probably just takes the highest pain threshold and it's like, all right, here we go. They're not too concerned with an individualized custom experience, (laughs) I guess. I'm Hmm. a giant tender baby, so that'd just be like static electricity for me and I would still be screaming. <laughs> a friend of mine I worked with, he had a phobia of balloons. His greatest fear was like a room full of balloons with a couple of Jack Russells in it. <laughs> wow. Wait, why the Jack Russells? Jack Russell like, and little dogs jumping through the balloons. I used to put balloons into his drawers and work, and he'd open the. He'd go, ah! Like, it's quite cruel now when I think about it. <laughs> but I used to find it very funny at the time. It is quite cruel, but also. It's a little funny. <laughs> yeah. It's an abnormal phobia and unfortunately an easily procurable phobia to trigger. So that's very, that's a very, that's a very weird. You're like, happy birthday. And like somebody would have like some balloons for me. Like, <laughs> Jesus. I, I'm, oh, I'm wow. wondering if that guy was traumatized by one of those clowns with the balloon trick, whatever. Oh, balloon animals? Yeah. It just like popped at the wrong time or something. and. Maybe I'm not very imaginative. I can't envision a, a chain of events that it all goes wrong from the balloon popping. <laughs> what do I know? I'm just the intendant. Um, <laughs> I'm the empress, and I say that is correct. That is correct. Any pronouncements today, Empress? I pronounce that we get started with today's episode. The episodes, of course, are Discovery Season 3, Episodes 9 and 10, Terra Firma, Parts 1 and 2. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I won't be able to do the whole lot. I'm down. I've got, a, what's it called? Labyrinthitis? Anybody ever get labyrinthitis? No, what is that? Is that it, when you grow a, a cod piece and become the Goblin King? Hey. No. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, uh, it's... no that, that's when the King of Minos uh, tosses you into a deep chamber for, for being born looking like a bull. Or the bog of stench. That's right, yeah. yeah. I thought you were actually saying I look like a bull, and I was like, no. And he said bull. I was like, waiting to hear what he's saying I look like. <laughs> the most skinny, scrawny, useless bull I've ever seen. Um, no, it's an inner ear infection. Well, oh. My balance is out of kilter, so it's really annoying. I need to take it easy. And I, I, I don't have that many thoughts. Weirdly, you know, I was tired when I watched these episodes, and they went straight over my head. Like, I didn't, when you, you guys were here before, I saw the talk in the chat and they're like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't do, I nearly did no analysis at all. So I think <laughs> I have very little to add to this episode. Yeah, I think these are pretty straightforward episodes. They are pretty much just like, we got to get Giorgio off the show. Also, hey, what's going on in the Mirror Universe? Yeah, it takes about like five minutes in the Prime Universe, the whole two-parter. Pretty much like, yeah, basically, that's it. The whole experience is just Giorgio passed out for a minute while, like, some kind of version of herself lives for three months and then dies somewhere else. Yeah, the the temporal mechanics of this are are quite complicated, and the show kind of hand waves it, but it's fine. Yeah, Um, it's fine. The funny thing about Mirror Universe episodes is that they always 
have a political aspect of it, right? Like, so because the mirror universe is so just opposite of everything that the Federation stands for, specifically the Terran Empire, it is inherently political. But everything in this episode seemed to revolve more around the kind of character Mm -hmm. element of Giorgio realizing that she doesn't really fit in the mirror universe anymore. You've changed. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, yeah, alternate title for, for these two episodes could have been Terra Firma or How I Learned to Stop Wearing and Love the Fashy Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> and Love My Kami Daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Rewatching these, what really stood out to me the second watch through, the beginning of part one, when Prime Universe Michael is trying to help Giorgio and she starts to fight Prime Universe Michael and Prime Universe Michael is like fighting very defensively. Mm. And doesn't want to hurt her, even mm-hmm. though Giorgio throws a fucking hatchet at her head, clearly trying to kill Michael. And then you fast forward to the end of part two, and you got Mirror Universe Michael fighting Giorgio, and it's the opposite. Giorgio blood. Giorgio is trying really hard not to kill her, and Michael is just going fucking crazy and is going for blood. And you see right when Giorgio realizes that she has to kill Michael, that there's nothing she can do about it. Yeah. Then there's also just Wandering on the Ice Planet, Danis 5, which is kind of like, you know, where the series began. But like, more importantly, the whole time she's just whining, oh, my fashion Michael was so much better. She would have just killed me. That would have been great. Man, you were so much cooler when you were a fascist. What happened to you? Like, fashion version is so much better. And then like, she basically like goes through this whole thing where she tries to make fashion Michael as loyal as Kami Michael. And she can't. Yeah, she can't. And so she comes up being like, oh, fuck. Yeah, she's like, you're way better. I was so wrong. Yeah, I picked the wrong set of YouTube videos to be influenced by. Read the wrong books. Was a stand for the wrong dead countries. What was I doing? What the fuck was I doing? Seriously, these episodes were two of the worst episodes of the series, I think, in total. You're telling me that everybody is born in this alternate universe and their characters still end up in the same positions, but a bit fash, you know, like what kind of nonsense is that? I know we're supposed to be an infinite number of universes in the multiverse, but I just find that concept just so lame as a kind of a plot device. Oh, that was, amazing. That was so fun. Was amazing. Smiley, I think I do need to send you to the agonizer booth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already in the agonizer. <laughs> So we land on the ice planet, Danis 5. Fashy Mommy is just running her goddamn mouth and hurting Michael Burnham's feelings. Then they meet a guy named Carl who's in a bowler hat, an Adirondack chair, smoking a big old Churchill cigar and kicking back with the newspaper that says, Giorgio dies a horrible death. Has a bunch of great snippy cracks about how doors work and how like, (laughs) Well, this is a door. You should really be up to date about door technology. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is fucking adorable. Uh, door? Adorable. Oh, yeah. That's even what he says. Giorgio's like, fuck it. I have, you know, programmable matter disease. And this contract I signed like a year ago is just pulling me apart. <laughs> so I have to, I have to go through the door. I got to do it. She walks through the door. What do you get? Semper Supra. Semper Supra Supreme. Yeah. The full on Roman salute with the terra firma. It's a pretty affecting scene. It sets up the entire two parter that holy shit, we're back in the mirror universe 
And Georgia looks like deer in headlights. The wife from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> like just for a moment, just like, uh. and then she's like, okay, okay, I got this. Yeah, you know, terra firma. I can hang. I know I haven't been on 4chan in a while, but you know, I'm I'm still cool. I'm still irony poisoned. And I browse TTTT a couple times a month, you know, just to see what they're up to. Yeah. I she still maintains an active Gab account. That's right. I could still Blanchard post with the rest of them. Not too tender queer for this. I could deal. <laughs> you know, she asked for a status report from Captain Killy because she's on Discovery. And that's her way of like kind of quickly figuring out what exactly is going on, what time period of the mirror universe she is in. And she realizes this is before she killed Michael Burnham. This is the day when they attempt the coup. This is the day where they christen the Charon, the ship we see her on in Disco Season 1. Oh, yeah. And Killy also reports what Emperor Georgiou refers to as the first uprising. Right. Killy's like, well, you know slaves. They're always just uprising. Nobody knows what to do with that. And Georgiou's like, oh, right. This is the first slave uprising. She doesn't hide the fact that she knows what's going to happen. She knows how things play out, or at least how things played out the first time, right? She basically says, this is the first one, and, and just says things like, she knows what's going to happen. Owo and Captain Killy and all of her loyalists all just kind of think of her as like some kind of like empress god king who has future sight or something or she's like mama murphy from fallout 4 she's got the sight she's got the sight to get her some jet yeah that's like the weird part that i think kind of sells that mirror universe people could still be loyal to this person she gets this glazed look in the distance and it's like i've seen how this ends i know that michael is plotting a coup against me she's betrayed me i know that this is the first of many slave uprisings like this is the day where they try to kill me and Captain Killy, I guess, is a confidant to her because she's already seen this scenario play out and perhaps Killy is either the last or among the last to abandon her. Based on what we saw in Disco Season 1, there's a couple of things we need to establish right now. First of all, because this coup is so far gone by the time she goes back to the Mirror Universe, the coup isn't started simply because the Prime Universe has changed. Her policies have already strayed far enough from traditional kind of brutal Terran policies Mm -hmm. to where there starts to be discontent within the Empire, starting with Lorca and then eventually going to Michael. Even before the events of this two-parter, Michael sees Giorgio as weak. Michael also has a personal resentment in that she always feels like she's going to live in Giorgio's shadow. One thing that goes unsaid is that there's a sense in which that's sort of ridiculous because if she just waits for right. Giorgio to die a natural death, Giorgio doesn't have any other children. Right. She is next in line. As long as Giorgio doesn't have children, she is going to be the emperor. So I don't think it's just the resentment and living in her shadow thing. It's that she does view Giorgio as weak. And she's afraid that if Giorgio continues taking the, the empire on the path that it's on, she's going to destroy it. But I think we both also realize that Giorgio is playing the Democrat card, right? Like, <laughs> she's a good fascist. It's a smarter and more effective route, honestly, yeah, to control. As uh, Glenn Ford puts it, the more effective of two evils. Right. Yeah. She points out how even Genghis Khan realized that he has better control of his subjects if he allows them to worship their own gods. So if she lets go of the reins a little bit on their subjects, 
which would be all the aliens that they have enslaved and lets them have a little bit of their own culture, a little bit of their own world that she will better be able to control them. But to Michael Burnham, who is just this brutal frothing at the mouth, kind of insane, crazy Terran, that's too soft. That's weak. Right, right. There was one line that they gave Burnham that I think sort of sums up the Terran ethos, which is, Giorgio says, when I found you, you were living atop a trash heap. And she's like, I was master of that trash heap. Like, that's the central theme of, like, what the Terran universe is, is, like, it doesn't matter how awful and terrible everybody's circumstances are, if you get to be the person at the top of that pile of shit, like, you are doing well in this universe. Yeah, it's the small propertarian worldview. I don't mm-hmm. care that it's a pile of shit. I run this shit and I'm the king of this castle. Right. Murdering and destroying like beauty in the universe in order to increase the value of, of what is left <laughs> in order to capture short term value generation. That kind of shit. Yeah, that's captured in the way that Michael hunts down this family of artists that Giorgio really appreciates their work, blinds them and removes their hands so that they can't make any more art and so the value of what they already have in their collection will go up just removing those sources of beauty from the world so that what they have their own little chunk can be worth more there's a lot of moments here that contain star trek's critique of capitalism and of the outright cruelty of the state you know star trek isn't famous for its critique of the state it's famous for its critique of authoritarian states yeah but it's very cozy with like bourgeois democracy and Lasallian and like heavy state. Although there was a pretty funny thing about democracy in this episode. Yeah, there was. So like as Emperor Giorgio is dragging Mirror Michael to the agonizer to instead of killing her. So there's this, you know, scene where it's very clear that Michael has betrayed her and Tanequa Martin-Green is chewing the scenery like gets down on her knees, please execute me, mother. Georgiou has, you know, a lot of discipline and strength, swings a sword, only cuts a little bit of her neck. That is very difficult to do. And so is going to do this re-education program where she just tortures the shit out of her in order to get her to voluntarily submit to being a subject of the emperor. And as she's being dragged to the agonizer booth, Michael says, wait, there's this whole conspiracy of all these disgusting, gross aliens trying to build, you know, what they call the coalition. Michael wants to just like roast them on spits and be like, that'll teach them. That'll like set an example. Whereas what Giorgio actually ends up doing is like, oh, you know, these democratic things. We just sabotage them through back channels. That was easy. And I mean, hey, what good Leninist doesn't know about that? (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah democracy yeah, yeah yeah we'll see about that when we're done well it sounds like she basically co teleproed them like she sent in some like andorian agent who like uh <laughs> got all like andorian id poll about things and kind of like ruined <laughs> it from the inside i mean yeah like i said perfect leninist strategy <laughs> I've actually been in an organization where, like, Leninists did something like that. Democracy. We love democracy. It's so easy to manipulate. Yeah. So easy to manipulate. And and if there's anything happening that we don't like, we can just short circuit it by manipulating the shit out of these idiots. A lot of 
conservatives will pin the concept of uh, the useful idiot on Lenin. They'll say, oh yeah, Lenin wrote about useful idiots, which Lenin never, I don't even think, utters the term useful idiot. But no. you can see why people would pin that term on Lenin. I mean, the word Soviet might as well translate <laughs> to useful idiot in English. Yeah. It'll be easy to short circuit and take over. Rip. Neat. Like... <laughs> Well, and she does something similar with the Kelpians, right? So oh, yeah. in, in the Mirror Universe, the Terrans have basically taken over the culling from the Ba'ul. And so they are a subjugated servant caste within the Terran Empire. And because of like the way that the Mirror Universe is set up, if you're even really seen as like treating a Kelpian as a person, that is a sign of weakness. That mm -hmm. is a signal for other Terrans to, like, murder you and usurp your place. But what Giorgio does is she's like, oh, no, these are actually people. So what I can do is I can give them a little bit of nice treatment and then they will become my spies because everybody else forgets that they're sentient, basically. as essentially like robots for, for them to use and, and consume. Which is brilliant. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is another one of those situations where she's a good liberal status in that, okay, we'll do a little Kelpian identity politics. I'll use your language. I'll tell you what Vahari really is. We'll stop literally culling you for food when you start going through Kelpian puberty, right? But also, now we can rely on you as surveillance devices we can rely on you as aggressive loyal foot soldiers yeah like the thing about what Giorgio is trying to do is it's actually kind of brilliant she comes back from the communist utopia and is like they had some points they had some good ideas and it seems like that's what she's been trying to do all along and she's like a little like a little bit softer when she comes back to the mere universe as i pointed out before this coup was already fully developed by the yeah. time she comes back. So what I think has been going on is that she stopped playing brutal and she started playing smart, but everybody started reading that as a sign of weakness. Lorca really plays on Burnham's heartstrings here because one of the reasons why Michael loves Lorca so much, Lorca's full of shit, but yeah, Lorca's a groomer. That, that skeeved me out. Cause Oh God, that was disgusting. But He's exploiting something that's real and that like nobody loves Michael for Michael in this universe. Everybody loves Michael because she's the daughter of the emperor. Mm. That's it. Right. And the emperor loves Michael because she recognizes her power. Right. Right. Yeah. Until she gets snatched by Prime Burnham and has a communist adventure. She can't really love Michael for Michael. And even the Michael that she's gunning for is prime Michael by the end. She's trying mm -hmm. to reformulate the orphan she plucked off the trash heap into the new communist woman. Like, and it just ain't going to happen. No, that's really what this whole thing is about. The only way you can change someone who is a Terran is you take them out of the entire fucking universe that they were raised in. It is a little bit structuralist, right? But it isn't simply the structures of the Terran Empire, because when the Terran Empire falls, the universe is still brutal. Mm. It's just ruled by a different master, basically. It's ruled by the Alliance in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. 
That is what's depressing about the mirror universe, that even when the Terran Empire falls because of Emperor Spock's reforms. It falls because they tried to go a step beyond what George Joe's trying to do and do something even a little bit softer than that, and it just fucking collapses. Yeah, so Spock trying to learn from Khrushchev and just Gorbachev's the whole situation. She's trying to introduce these like softening reforms. She's she's trying to like impose a change from the top and it completely falls apart. And even if you don't know the rest of like the mirror universe history, you can see that these are not going to stick because the entire rest of the society is like structured along these very brutal lines. And like th- that's something that you see a lot in history. I'm I'm reminded of Oh, God, who's the Roman emperor who was crowned as a child and basically announced himself as the sun god and tried to convert the Roman Empire into a monotheist, like, sun god religion. And basically, like, that fell apart the instant he died because, like, the rest of society was essentially like being dragged from the top and resistant to that kind of change. It reminds me of um, Akhenaten in the Egyptian Empire. I don't actually remember the Roman variant of this. Same thing, yeah. I do wonder, though, because at the end of part two, Carl, a.k.a. the Guardian of Forever. Pardon me. That is the <laughs> Guardian of Forever. That's okay. it, yes, yeah. Because Georgia's down herself. She's like, this was a test. You were weighing me. I failed. I wanted to save Michael. And I killed her. I wanted to change the empire and I couldn't. And the Garden Forever says, well, you killed Michael because your hands were tied. She literally killed you as well. And you may not have changed the entire empire, but you saved the Kelpian. You saved all the Kelpians, basically. And by saving Saru, he went on and saved several more before she goes back. Her interaction with Saru in the Mary universe is like very touching, actually. Right. When she mm. tells him the truth of Vaharai, and he says, the Vaharai is a lie. You're not going to die of madness. Just lock yourself in a room, get through it, and you will come out stronger than ever. Right. And she expects this to be good news to him because he's not going to die. And his immediate reaction is, oh, my God, my comrade, my sister, my family. Yeah. They all died for nothing. And she says, you survive. Yeah, I think you have the exact quote. Yeah, it's just survive. That's how you honor them. Tell the others what you know. That's how you avenge them. And that's really inspiring. And I think that's something that, like, any oppressed group can identify with, you know, especially if you know people who have passed, right? Like, yeah. the best thing you can do is survive and tell the others what you know. At that moment, Suru is like, I do not know where you're from. You are not Terran. You do not belong here. You should get out of here. Yeah, he's like, he wants her to leave, but he is deeply loyal to her from this point forward. But he wants her to leave because he's afraid they're going to kill her. And he's totally right. He's not wrong about that. So I think I think your point still stands, though, Tiberius, because Giorgio failed to change the entirety of the empire from the top down. But what she did do is she changed one person who can change things from the bottom up. Whether you have a timeline editing view of time travel metaphysics, as many, but not all, of older Star Trek does, or if you have a sort of branching multiverse, the wave and particle split into two different universes kind of view of time travel metaphysics, as much New Trek does, 
whichever road you take, there is a mirror universe timeline where part of the slave revolts is Kelpian uprising. Who knows how that changes the mirror universe from there. Or it depends on who becomes it, because there is going to be a line of succession crisis after this, because both Burnham and George O die. Lorca, baby. Yeah, I think it's going that, to be Lorca. That's yeah, true. In this timeline, Lorca steps in. Lorca, again, if George O is Hillary Clinton, Lorca is bad orange man. So <laughs> what do you think he's going to do to Kelpians? He's going to do a Kelpian turducken. Well, I was thinking if Killy could seize power, Killy is like a Georgia loyalist, and maybe mm-hmm. she would continue some of the reforms and make the Kelpians into mm. a soldier class. Once they go through Fahari, they're stronger than humans. And because she is invoking Georgia, the liberator, mm-hmm. if Killy can evoke that and, you know, kind of cultivate the loyalty of the Kelpians, they have like a very strong soldier class, basically. Lorca narratively would be a lot more satisfying. And I think having that come up in section 31, where Captain Killy finds a way to cross over and go to the prime universe to implore Jojo to come back and take over the throne again for Lorca. Somehow, I guess Captain Killy would find out that Jojo is alive in the prime universe. Of course, Jojo won't do it. She doesn't fit in the mirror universe anymore, but she might go and just kill Lorca because she hates Lorca. (laughs) Yeah, because he's a gross pedophile. Yeah. As Lorca would say, a phoebophile. It's very different than being a pedophile. <laughs> yeah. um, Lorca's a good libertarian. Anyway. Giorgio has abandoned Terran values and is thus, like, weak in the eyes of Terran society. And so anybody who would be considered, like, her loyalist would be branded with her weakness, essentially. And so during a secession crisis, even if she had a significant number of loyalists, there would be enough other people within the society who would want to essentially erase Giorgio's weakness from Terran society, that it would, like, tear the entire society apart. Potentially, this could be the start of a civil war, but I think Captain Killy, being the most feared interrogator in the quadrant with the cute pout, <laughs> has a pretty fair shot at being able to carry on that legacy without, you know, appearing weak because she is ruthless. Bitches, ruthless. Well, that's the thing, too. Giorgio is branded weak, but wrongly so. She has so much control that she swings her sword and stops just shy of cutting Burnham's neck. And instead of just immediately killing Burnham, she tortures her for like weeks on end, basically. She's still a badass, evil, let's be real, bitch. Right. She just rules with intelligence, not with brute force, right? Whereas the old way is you either roll with an iron fist or you die, according to Burnham. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think you could have loyalists who see wisdom in this new way of ruling smartly, not brutally but still ruling with absolute authority versus the old way of just violence and brutality. There's a great conversation during the agonizer reform program when Burnham is like, you're so fucking weak. Why else would you build a palace in the sky if you're not going to retire when there's so many of us still fighting on the ground? And Giorgio says, you know, we need to give our subjects something to live for after the battles. And Burnham says, you promised us new spoils, never-ending growth. There are no spoils from peace. As that's essentially the liberal way, right? Growth and profit from, you know, democratic peace theory. 
We don't have to declare war on each other. It's like Kowski's theory of super imperialism, that all the bourgeois countries will form this great compact and be able to just, without breaking into world war, and of course this is wrong when Kautsky was writing it, and maybe more right now, that like without breaking out into a huge massive world war, we can continue to secure profits and you know keep the war between the bourgeoisie and proletariat. Bourgeoisie can just, you know, keep oppressing the proletariat of their countries and just rake in that dough, baby. And Giorgio can see this. Michael can't. Michael Burnham, interestingly enough, uh, great, great, great granddaughter of James Burnham, who wrote The Managerial Society, fun fact, <laughs> in the mirror universe. <laughs> there was something else about that line, too, that I wanted to bring up, that when Michael Burnham says that, mirror universe Burnham says that, I just kept thinking to myself, what George Joseph say in retort is that, of course, there'll still be profits and growth. We have a whole slave caste that can manufacture for us and create goods, and we don't have to pay them that much. What I'm suggesting is that we give them enough of their culture and enough of the livelihood that we're not constantly fighting wars. What I'm suggesting is that instead of owning the slave, we simply have them sign contracts and thus hide the fact that we're expropriating their surplus value via the wage form. I think this is a much more intelligent way to go about it, don't you? That's basically what's <laughs> happening here. And Burnham's like, no, I, I don't fucking get it. This doesn't make any sense. Why don't you just own them and eat them? Well, you're talking crazy right now. We can't have <laughs> infinite growth based on expropriation of surplus value. That's fucking dumb. That'll never work. <laughs> <laughs> Look towards the camera and wink. That would be fucking amazing if that came out of the writer's room, but yeah, I don't see that <laughs> yeah, happening in this wanted, writer's room. There's a fun behind the scenes interview where they were like interviewing the cast and the cast is all like, man, can you imagine a world where, you know, <laughs> you're incentivized to be really evil and it's just like, you know, elbow anyone out of the way to get ahead. I mean, could you imagine, you know, it was a really fun and entertaining acting exercise. I'm just sitting here filing my nails being like, live in a mode of production. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm theme. Yeah. It was a very strange moment. Just be like, uh-oh. Yeah. Rip. Yeah. I still am holding out hope that we live in the Prime Universe. We are just in the pre-World War Three phase. That is a possibility in the timeline. That's That's a distinct possibility. Canonical Prime Universe, humans are still quite violent in this period. And yeah. You know, we haven't even gone through the girl riots. Oh, yeah, bell riots. Bell riots are coming yeah. up, baby. Bell riots coming, baby. A couple more years. Yeah, that's not fiction. It's just not. <laughs> the perfect mix of carrot and stick. Emperor Giorgio is a woman that has read her Foucault. She knows when to use just brutal, direct torture and dispense with all this humanist bullshit. And then also went to use panoptic manipulation to get Michael to finally seemingly do what she wants. The reform Burnham apologizes and for weeks is like proving herself. There is a sequence where Burnham executes her co-conspirators with her own hands, with Detmer at her side, and they turn in all of the badges. And at the end, Giorgio's kind of like, yeah, you got one more to kill. And Michael turns to Detmer, stabs her, 
And you never get a shot of Oh Wow, which, oh wow, best makeup in every universe. I wonder if Oh Wow is like still sweet on Detmer in this universe or if it's more of like a lesbian grinder kind of thing. I think it's lesbian grinder, just like yeah. uh, Culver and Samets, because yeah. Culver didn't really. Culver turns on Georgia. Culver does turn on Georgia, but yeah. Culver hides it for a long yeah. time. Like there's a yeah, sequence yeah. of Culver like force feeding Michael, seemingly loyal to Georgia. Yeah. This is when we get the, those silly democratic things are always on the brink <laughs> as Giorgio is updating Michael on how she sabotaged the coalition through back channels. Yeah, yeah, we just went on their Discord and, you know, accused them of being uh, exclusionary towards Andorians. <laughs> anyway, Giorgio established Pro in order to get rid of these obnoxious democratic coalition bullshit. Which is probably why the Alliance ends up being authoritarian. Right. Those silly democratic things are always on the brink. Sarek reads Lenin. The rest is history. <laughs> there's a really, like, dramatic scene where there's the double cross. The honor guard betrays the emperor with Michael. The emperor also shows her hand by being like, I didn't trust you as much as I'd like to. And then Oo and Killy rush the room with armed post-Vaharai Kelpians in full predator mode. And... There's that amazing sword fight, which is the flipped image of the previous sword fight mm -hmm. in part one with Giorgio going for blood and Michael holding back the mirror universe. Sneakle Martin Green doing an amazing like frothing at the mouth, rabid Michael Burnham going for the jugular is just trying very hard to kill the emperor. The emperor is holding back. You see that moment in her eye where she's like, no, oh, fuck, I have to do it. I have to kill her again. Lord, forgive me. It's time to go back to the old me. Whips out a sword, runs Michael through, but a little too late because Michael stabs her, looks like in the neck. Yeah. And yeah. Saru cradles her, mirrors Saru. The image of a Kelpian holding the Terran Empress. There's nothing more indicative of how much Giorgio has changed when we first meet her in Mirror Universe Season 1 when she's eating Kelpian yeah. flesh. And then you fast forward to this scene and you have this Kelpian holding her as she's dying. And uh, while Owo and Killy are clearly shaken, Saru is the one who's expressing the most grief directly to Giorgio as she's dying mm -hmm. because he owes her his life. Yeah, and not even just his life. But the life of all, all the Kelpians he yeah, saves. The future of his species. Yeah. And the most un-Terran thing that she's done. Yeah, that is really affecting. It is. We don't get enough Kelpian predator spikes in this show. Oh, I love those. The ganglia, like, projectile weapons. Yeah. I think my understanding of how the Kelpian Vaharai works is that there's a period shortly after Vaharai where there seems to be a lack of impulse control. Um, that eventually kind of gets settled down um, because when Saru goes through Vaharai in um, season two, he like fucking yeets to his home planet and just fucks shit up against orders um, on like in a very impulsive kind of energetic rage over what the Ba'ul have been doing to his people. Yeah, Saru reads Fanon. Saru reads Fanon. Yeah. He's like, I'm over it. Let's just fucking do this. And yeah, you can't Kelpian puberty. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Yeah. 
And then uh, in, in, in this uh, two-parter, you see Saru and this, and this Calpian friend. Like, you see Saru literally pick up Mirror Universe Culver and just, like, throw him up to the roof. Like in one with one arm, just like they, they um but then with Time Universe Saru, when you get to season three, he's like very calm and he only gets like that when he's being attacked. And that's when his like spike ganglia come out and he can shoot out thorns or whatever. I want threat ganglia projectile action figure Saru really bad. Oh, that'd be so fun. <laughs> yeah, but you would lose them so easily. You would yeah, they'd be tiny. Maybe you could just replace them with like bits of toothpick. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, you're welcome, Rod and Mary. <laughs> We're back to Carl. Carl's cracking door jokes again. She really familiarize yourself in the latest technology. <laughs> Giorgio is like, what the fuck just happened? Carl's like, check your Apple Watch. You should have like three months of biometric data in there. He's like, holy shit. I've achieved my calories goal for the last three months. When's the last <laughs> time that happened? Burnham's like, it's impossible. You were napping for one minute. Well, that's just how it works when your friend Carl with the bowler hat turns out to be the guardian of forever. Which yeah, is and obviously totally Burnham odd. didn't watch Contact. Yeah, obviously Burnham didn't watch Contact. And Burnham hasn't seen TOS because it's like 10 years in her future from when she started. But whatever. It's a really great reference. Oh, wow. We just convinced somebody in the chat to pick up Discovery again because they gave up in season two and all the spoilers from season three make them want to watch it. So, Oh, hell yeah. Season three is a lot better than season two. Yeah. As much as I love season two, yeah. It was a fantastic show in service of a bad story. Much like this episode, that whole season two plot was basically the writer's room trying to jiggle things around and being like, oh, shit, why did we even bring Giorgio to the future? I don't know. We got to get her out of there now. She's got contract disease. Contractitis. Yeah, the contract (laughs) is just pulling her apart and she needs to leave so she can get to her own show. The Guardian of Forever reveal rules. The crack about back in the day, you know, I could just issue a warning like, hey, don't mess up the timeline. Just go back, fix what you need to fix, and then you're back. But after the Temporal Wars, you know, from Enterprise, haven't you seen Enterprise? Yeah. Of course you've seen Enterprise. All that stuff really went out the window, and I'm just trying to keep my head down. I'm just trying to stay alive out here, or I'm just trying to stay, you know, mystically, like, existent out here without fucking up the timeline too much. Entertainingly, The Guardian of Forever is a sort of like staple of Star Trek tie-in novels that are, you know, it's maybe a little bit of a lazy plot device in those (laughs) novels. So it's kind of funny to think that after all those novels, The Guardian of Forever is like, all right, I'm moving and I'm getting a disguise. (laughs) Like, leave me alone. There's that touching moment about Giorgio believing she failed Michael, Mirror Michael. She failed the Terran Empire. And Carl's like, don't worry about it. You tried for peace. You saved a Kelpian. You know, you paid it forward. He's going to super pay it forward. It's going to be great. All right. You got your own show now. You got to go back in time, not to the Terran universe. And as she's leaving, she looks back twice. You don't look back if you're like, you know, a super badass and you're like walking into, you know, your next thing. You don't look back you know, with all that emotion of the people you love or whatever. She looks back twice to have a nice heart to heart with Michael to ensure the last thing she doesn't say to her daughter is, Michael, will you know when to shut the fuck up? Yeah, that's what she says right before she goes to the door. (laughs) Right. 
they have a really sweet interaction. What is um, before she leaves? Michael says, "You are my Giorgio." That's really sweet. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, give me a break." She's like, "No, no, no. I just mean what I feel for you is yours." She's no longer trying to put her guilt Mm -hmm. of Prime Giorgio getting killed onto Mirror Giorgio, and rather just loves and respects Mirror Giorgio for who she is as an individual. Yeah, you know, you did a lot of shit, but I mean, you're sorry about it now, right? Like, so it's fine. You've changed. You changed, girl. And Giorgio says something to the effect of like... Like, this era is different. It's more Terran than when you come from. Mm -hmm. And also, you could be captain too. You know that, right? And then she walks into her own show. Oh, there's one other thing I want to point out that Giorgio said before Mm -hmm. we move on from the scene. Before she says that stuff about this era is more Terran than when you come from. She also says, I was very resentful at you when you first plucked me out of the mirror universe and brought me to the prime universe. I said, you should have let me die. In reality, large part of me was already dead. And me being here with you has given me new life. Yeah. So if someone in your life is on 4chan, you can give them new life by getting them off of 4chan. Take them to Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. oh god no oh Please god do that that's like mirror Giorgio's reformed empire babe <laughs> set them yeah. up with a swampside chats patreon and get them into the discord <laughs> we will fix them it's fine yes now that we've had the mass uh terran exodus from the swampside discord <laughs> Cassie dystopia is officially a member of uh marxist center <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah the subjugation network is you know, formerly an organ of the marxist center please very much join one of those groups and make sure you devote your life to those activities don't um, worry we're not letting the hard anti-revisionists in anymore wink wink there's a sort of weird scene towards the end where they're like oh heck we're gonna miss that fascist (laughs) like which is part of the big fashy mommy rehabilitation arc classic west germany stuff (laughs) you know ah you know they really busted my chops they're pretty badass she had some like nice hugo boss uniform i mean wow that's some stylish stuff i mean you could say whatever you want about her but damn Hugo Boss knows how to make a uniform. Those Nazis turned out to be great intelligence assets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for real. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, yeah, it's very post-war, Cold War settlement kind of deal. Yeah, the U.S. like bringing in all the former Nazis as scientists and mm-hmm. intelligence agents and all that mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. This is fine. So there is that element of post-anti-fascist Cold War liberalism being Mm -hmm. like, hey, you know what? Now that we've crushed you under our weird rhizomatic boot that's not a boot, give me your costume. Tell me what you know. We can kind of romp around in your universe for fun sometimes, but what you want is a fucking hellscape. What we want is a way more evolved and intelligent hellscape. (laughs) <laughs> so there it is. They're all like, yeah, Georgia's a badass. She's a truth teller, even though she's like a snake double agent. Yeah. Whatever. Some of that doesn't add up for me, but they're basically treating her like she's dead. Prime Michael's going to want to be honest with Saru about what happened, but she can't say that Georgia went back in time because that would break the temporal accord. Right. And Saru would be obligated to report her. But there is a like a bureaucratic way around that, which... Burnham actually did. She said, like, yeah, she's gone. And she was like, gone. What do you mean? She's she's not coming back. 
So deceased then. So, so deceased then. Yeah, they just marked her file as deceased, so nobody raises any questions about it. And Admiral Vance says, I'm, I'm sorry for the loss of your crewmate. Mm-hmm. Right. To, so to sort of cement that. Because you can't time travel. But also, the whole thing, and this starts in season two, really, but it's going to continue in the Section 31 show, which mm. I think is going to be a fantastic show. I'm looking forward to it. But here's the thing. They're doing exactly what the U.S. did post-Cold War. They're bringing in this fascist into their intelligence. Remember, Section 31 are like the bad guys in DS9. Like, I don't want to get too much into super spoily territory. They're the enemy within the Federation. They're the enemy within the Federation. Arguably within the Federation, if you can get people to admit that that's a part of the Federation. Right. By the time you get to the 24th century, it's unclear what Section 31's relationship is. And I think officially Section 31 is denied as a part of the Federation. And the leader of Section 31 is labeled like a rogue agent, basically. But I think unofficially, they're totally still a part of the Federation. Yeah. They're more close to Yeah, there's no such agency. Right. It's like Area 51 or it's like the Cheka after a while. It's like, no, we like close down the Cheka, you know? What are they doing? I can't believe they're still out there doing Iron Felix shit. Jeez. Yeah, come on. Y'all need to stop doing that. Naughty, naughty. (laughs) No, but in the 23rd century, they are just the Cheka. Like Admiral Cornwell wants Pike to work with Section 31 Mm -hmm. in uh, Season 2. And it's really fucked up. Again, you know, as a criticism of Star Trek fans, I harp on a lot. But I think it's okay to have criticisms of this utopia because it is, from the outset, too state-heavy and too militaristic. Even though I love the United Federation of Planets and I agree with the majority of its values, it's bourgeois democracy with replicators. Yeah. Or social democracy with replicators. Yeah, post-scarcity, post-market, alienated state form utopia. That being said, UFB does nothing wrong. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, but I, I guess this is what the withering away of the state looks like. So you establish like, a, you establish like your, your Cheka for the purposes of, as Admiral Cornwall says in a season two in a line that I wish that I could rewrite nation building. <laughs> um, and then like, you know, 200 years later. They're like, no, 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 we don't even recognize that that exists anymore. We don't want it to exist. We keep trying to kill it, but it won't die. Right. (laughs) Iron Felix was just the guy who was initially against the death penalty and was just rounding people up and having them shot and then being like, oh, God, we need to liquidate this entire organization because we don't want these people to become the leaders of communism. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, too, is that I, I heard somewhere, it might have even been from you, babe, but I heard somewhere that in the Soviet Union, the original idea of what full communism would be is just post-scarcity Sovietism. Post-scar- mm-hmm. Like, you still have this big bureaucratic state, right. but, you know, there's no more rations. You just get whatever you want, basically. Yikes. And somehow that means there's no state, sort of. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Yeah. That's kind of what the UFP is, basically. Which would yeah, make the sense UFP is Falk. Yeah, Falk is just the non-trademarked term, well, previously non-trademarked term, of Star Trek economics. You know, fully automated luxury communism. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, now, which is now, of course, uh, Aaron Bastani of Navarra Media. If you say Falk, that's what a lot of people think of. 
unless you're thinking of falcon powder, which is what you use to get in the cat suits. Um, <laughs> I do need to start jogging more so I can start fitting into a Mirror Universe cat suit. Yeah, yeah. I need to actually start the uh, dystopian Patreon so that I could buy a cat suit. <laughs> We got Gay Dad Stamets having a good pep talk with Adira when they're like sad. Sometimes you got to unplug the computer and plug it back in. And I don't know. Did you hit compile and run or did you just hit compile? (laughs) Same. Yeah. Very horrible. Gay Dad Stamets is just sweeter with Adira than he is with anybody else ever. So that's nice. It's nice to see. That's some character development for Stamets. Like he had his total dick phase, a grieved scientist phase. Like, I thought I was doing this for science and now I'm being weaponized. Fuck you, Elon Musk stage. He <laughs> did a bunch of mushrooms. Boyfriend came back from the dead. And now queer fatherhood stuff. Love it. Love that stuff. They killed Stamets again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They killed Stamets again. Yeah. They killed him both times in the mirror universe. Yeah, they did. They, yeah. they kill him every chance they get. Although they killed Landry three times, once in the prime universe and twice in the mirror universe. So. <laughs> Landry has the disco body count world record of dying three times. Now we just need to get the Dragon Balls so we can revive her and then have her get killed again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least she didn't get herself killed by doing dumb animal cruelty. Both times in the Mirror Universe, she dies a more honorable death than in the Prime Universe. We had a couple other scenes of the STEM queers being catty. Book busts in and deploys some emerald chain tech to boost the subspace signals that, you know, the 22nd century crew didn't know about, which I like this for two reasons. One, because Book is like, hey, can I like join up? And Saru's like, well, I don't know, uh, maybe like we have like rules. And like Book is clearly an asset and would like help them, you know, not be lost in the new universe. But for some reason, it's kind of rebuffed. And then this should happen all the time that People a thousand years in the future or whatever know how technology works that solves problems that they didn't solve a thousand years before. So I'm glad Book just like walks up to them and been like, I was just doing this to like run guns and like liberate animals and shit. This is Bush League technology. Here you go. Thunk and solves their big technical problem. That should happen more often. The disco crew have been trained on how to use the new tech that the Federation has available. The Federation clearly doesn't have these signal boosters. Otherwise, the poor trot left alone on the space station would have had communication with them. Yeah. And so um, because the Federation is so weakened and cut off, they still don't have, they have a lot of the same tech that the Emerald Chain does, but not everything. Right, right. So Book kind of becomes what Michael Burnham was early in the season, the kind Mm -hmm. of chaotic good agent but he's more directly aligned and working with starfleet as opposed to like butting heads with starfleet and so i think how it's going to work is he's going to be kind of their like han solo where it's like oh uh we're not allowed to do this because it would cause a diplomatic incident but oh no han solo book (laughs) is here and he's gonna do the thing that you shouldn't do yeah it's like the loyalists of the stalinist italian communist party that like break off and do their own thing the old school operismo like the italian workerists that were like well we don't know what the fuck's going on here but you know we're kind of loyal to the party but we're just gonna go fuck things up and i don't care what they have to say about it we're just gonna go do it those are the roots of autonomism. That's explicitly like a post-Stalinist thing. Right. It's a post-Stalinist route to, you know, doing what you want 
and Black Flag Baby. So <laughs> I don't know. That, that seems maybe on point. Section well, 31, it, but make it autonomous. That's just the Durutti column. <laughs> <laughs> it, rip. And not the band. <laughs> not the chill guitar band, the Durutti column. This is the uh, Red and Black Alliance, basically. So, you know, Book is aligning with Starfleet. Book maintains the autonomous orientation that Michael is kind of like, all right, I'll get back into the party fold, take my reprimand, rehabilitate Fashy Mommy. And all right. Dr. Isa of the KSF Kiev turns out to be the distress message that's sent out with a distress call that's emanating from the Verubin Nebula. That's going to be probably the subject of the next three episodes because it's the big arc, you know, solving the burn and stuff. They were a Kelpian ship investigating the dilithium nursery in the Verbin Nebula, whatever a dilithium nursery is. Saru is like super choked up to see Kelpians doing deep space travel. And the actor that plays Dr. Isa is the same actor that played Saru's sister, which is like super nice. The sexual dimorphism in, in Kelpians is insane, unless that hologram was sized down. Anyway. Yeah, it's something I think about. It's something I think about. Me too. God, I'm not a Kelpian. Jesus fucking Glad Christ. not to being be a Kelpian. Trans, being a trans Kelpian would suck. Yeah. But yeah. Baharai blockers are important. That's right. Baharai blockers are very important. So and can... completely 100% safe. Yeah. Completely reversible. No, it is reversible. It's science. It's science, baby. And you can decide what kind of Kelpian purity you want to go through. I think the United Federation of Planets can agree to this. For some reason, in the 32nd century, the UK is still hesitant to prescribe <laughs> the Harai blockers. It, they're just so stubborn. Yeah, that's why the UK is not part of the United Federation of Planets. Yeah, <laughs> the UK never fully integrated to United Earth because they're too backwards. Yeah, turns out, yeah, like England just isn't included. It's not that yeah, we I care mean, about well, their autonomy. Who do you think started the Earth Defense Force? That's a good oh, point. Oh my god, yeah. That's a good point. After United Earth left the Federation, they're like, maybe those Brits were right. Wait a minute, the EDF? The, mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. The, the Earth Defense League? Okay, anyway. Oof. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. Anyway, yeah, uh, it, it is the U, United Earth Defense Force, not the EDL, so. The United Earth Defense League? <laughs> okay, I'm done. Thank you for listening to Catsuit Dystopia. Find us on social media or at Jumpsuit Pod on Twitter. Log off of social media and go live with your cottage core wife in a woods. Catsuit Dystopia is supreme leader of the Incarceration Network. Check out our loyal subjects, I mean comrades. From Alpha to Omega, General Intellect Unit, Mortal Science, Swampside Chats, and C. Derek Barnes' new project, Barn Vlog. No, that one's not a mirror universe joke. That one's real. Until next time, set faces to... Um... Wait, there's no stun setting. It's a, it's a fascist dystopia. They don't care if anyone dies. Okay, whatever. Bye.